The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. Have you ever spared a thought for all of those poor, hardworking market analysts making the markets better for long-term investors everywhere? No? Well, it's still pretty funny to think about. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. Uh, I'm Bob French. I've fully taken over this show at this point. Uh, I've got my guests, Wade and, and Alex, here with me today. Uh, so say hi, everyone. Hi everyone. Hi, everyone. There we go. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but today oh, we wanted to get into uh, some of the some of the more interesting things around kind of the different types of analysis out there. So, you know, previously we've talked about how the markets work or kind of what the markets are, I should say. We talked about some stuff that very, very clearly does not work. Uh, technical analysis. So if you don't like that, I guess, well, sorry, uh, it doesn't work. Um, but now we're going to dive in and start talking about something that works in a way that the people doing it don't want it to work. Um, so we're going to start talking about fundamental analysis. Hey, wait. <clears throat> sorry. Sorry, Bob. Did you notice something here today? This is Bob's sort of intro. We gave him we gave him the <laughs> shot, right? What 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 have you noticed? Let's review yeah, this. Let's review. Yeah, yes, That's... please please write your reviews on Apple, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> no, wait. What did you notice? Talk. Yeah, <laughs> very erudite, <laughs> very very straightforward. Here's what we're going to talk That's about. Right. None of the chit chat. Let's this this is it. a straight five-paragraph <laughs> essay type of show. So, This is Bob's top, tight five. <laughs> <laughs> although, although, Bob, you forgot to mention that you did not see – you have not seen The Godfather. I have not. From the previous episode. And to be clear, it's right. still purely out week. of spite. So, Okay. Well, I'll, I'll just my, – my last one before we get into the, the down and dirty here. <laughs> So you have two girls. I do. Wait, you have a beautiful girl as well, correct? I do, yes. Okay. So I have all boys, so there it is. But this is I wanna I wanna tackle the challenge you on the it's before my time, I couldn't see the movie or whatever, right? <laughs> what what quote well what song is sixteen going on seventeen from? What song is that? I am sixteen. Yeah, you know, I watched them as a kid. That's sound of music. I, I don't remember them now. <laughs> sound of music, Bob. Sound of, no, wait, no, that's six, 1965 or yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's the 1960s. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sound I've of music. You got it, Bob. Right. I, I thought for sure so, you would. Alex, I, I haven't told you the story yet, but uh, <laughs> this past weekend, I took my, my older daughter to the bookstore. And she saw the the novel of The Godfather, and she she asked me about that. Hey, isn't that this famous movie? And I had to explain to her, yeah, it absolutely is. It's supposed to be like the best movie ever made. I have never seen it, and I will never see that because Alex really cares that I I watch that. So obviously, it's never going to happen. So, so wait, wait. What I want to know is why am I living in Bob's head rent free? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Bob, I saw it is streaming on Peacock okay, right now. Okay. Have that first. <laughs> so I, I <laughs> but, do uh, want to point but, out, okay, you know, Wayne was talking about how efficient and, you know, straight to the point we are. Um, Alex has still gotten in his uh, his couple minutes of chit-chat <laughs> on the front end somehow. So No, I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying to humanize yeah, you, Bob. I'm yeah, trying to I, humanize I think it's more you. Alex's bad <laughs> influence on the show. But <laughs> Well, hey, so it goes. But – no, honestly, you so you have seen the sound of music. I have seen the sound of music. Yes, Wade. Wade. 
Well, yeah, yeah, I've seen it, but I was probably eight years old and I don't remember it now. That's oh, that's the last time you see, you haven't seen it with your daughter? No, I don't think my daughters have seen no. it either. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I was referencing it thinking that, oh, you, no, definitely okay. A, All right. you should check it out. Child, you got to show that one to them. You got to show that one to them. It's a great okay. movie. Okay. All right. All right. Enough, enough. Fundamental analysis. <laughs> action. <laughs> yeah so i think a good place to start is you know i mentioned we had we've done a couple episodes up to this point but you know one thing looking back that i really want to make sure we touch on is you know something actually pretty fundamental to think how we think about the value of a security you know we're, we're always talking about like stock price or you know bond price or but stock price is easier to talk about um you know, we're talking about as this as if it's this single thing, and it, you know, one of the things I really want to drive home is that there's this idea, or there's markets need to clear. Every share of Facebook is owned by someone, or excuse me, every share of Meta is owned by someone. There's no wild shares of Meta roaming Lower Manhattan. Every share is owned. And the market needs to find the price where that happens. The market needs to find that price where someone is willing to own every share. Now, that's not to say that shares are going to the prices are, are perfect, but it's to say that yeah, they're pretty good. And you know, price moves based on that new information, but every share is owned, and that's a really, really crucial point. That bid and ask, the price that someone's willing to buy or sell the security at, they need to converge. They need to find that level. Uh, and I think that's a really, really crucial point, especially as we start talking about kind of fundamental analysis, which is when someone's going to go in. Oh, I'm sorry, wait, Alex, go ahead. Well, with that statement, every share needs to be owned. And so is it fair to say if you already own the share, right? Mm -hmm. And you refuse to sell it at at the at, at the at the bid, then you know you're 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 still owning yeah. it. You know you think the price is different. You're kind of setting the price. Yeah, anyways, if I at own that point. the if I own Facebook, and uh, you know the someone's willing to pay me ninety dollars, but I think it's really worth a hundred dollars. I'm still going to own that share. I'm not willing to take that $90. So that's, that's still cool. Um, you know, if I'm someone who's looking to, to buy Facebook or if I think that, you know, Facebook is worth $90, but someone's willing to sell it to me at a hundred, I'm not going to buy that. Well, what the market's trying to do is find the balance where, you know, that's about even where everyone own or all of those shares are owned by someone who is happy with the price that they're holding that security at. Yeah. And if someone's and happy PhD with in economics, this is supply and demand. Yeah. Yeah. This, is, this is the <laughs> point where the lines it's... cross. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The quantity supplied has to be equal to the quantity demanded and the price adjusts to the point where the quantity supplied, the people selling at that particular price matches the people willing to buy at that price. And then that's the equilibrium and that fluctuates on yes. a daily basis as so that's a much, much more eloquent way of describing that. So, so, so Wade, then based on yes, on, on last week's podcast on technical analysis, this is you sort of saying technical analysis works because the main tenant, the first tenant was supply and demand or. Yeah, that was the first tenant, wasn't it? I think what we what we determined was the first three tenants make a lot of sense, and maybe that leads you into a false sense of security, because then yeah. the the fourth tenant took you in a completely different direction. Of now, you can suddenly predict what's going to happen in the future based on past fluctuations. Yep. Perfect. So, um, yeah, I, I wanted to call that out because with fundamental analysis, this is the one with all the accounting stuff. You know, as we talked about last time, technical analysis is all the pretty charts uh, and you don't need to worry about the, the hard accounting stuff. Fundamental analysis is the hard accounting stuff with all of the, the ugly spreadsheets um, where you go in 
And either for an individual stock, uh, an asset class, an index, the market as a whole, you try and figure out, okay, how much should it be worth? How much, you know, I'm going to go out and predict all of Amazon's cash flows for the next 30 years. And, you know, the stock price is the, you know, when you really come down to it, you know, thinking about it from the, the dividend discount model, the stock price of any stock is the discounted value of all of its future dividends, how much money you're going to get out of it. Well, I'm going to model that out. I'm going to model all this stuff out and come up with the price that I think Amazon is truly worth. Um, you know, there's there's a lot going into that statement, but that's that's the basic idea. You try and model out a company or the market or whatever it happens to be and figure out here's the the correct value. And, you know, if the market is valid, is saying it's worth more than that, well, I'm going to sell that stock. If I can get a discount on that, if I think Amazon's worth, and I have no clue what the Amazon stock price is right now, if I think Amazon is worth $120 a share and, you know, it's trading at 100 well, shoot, I'm going to go in and buy up as much Amazon as I possibly can because I'm getting a discount on that. And I think the market will be coming up to meet, um, you know, what I think Amazon is worth. There's a whole lot of assumptions in there, um, which we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. But one of the really interesting things here is that I think fundamental analysis is a lot more interesting than technical analysis. Um, we haven't been shy about our opinion on technical analysis, but fundamental analysis actually is doing something really, really important in the market. It actually does work in a certain way. There's a lot of value in what fundamental analysis is doing. The problem is what they're really doing is they're offering a service to the market as a whole. They're not necessarily the one, or that, they are not the ones reaping the value of their work. It's the market as a whole. It's all of us, especially us being kind of passive index type investors. We're piggybacking off of all of the work that they're doing, getting those prices right. Um, you know, they're effectively the, the altruists of the market, which is a really weird thing to think about. All those people, at, you know, Goldman and on Wall Street, those are, those are altruists. They're doing us a favor. Uh, they're doing all of our work for free. Um, Wait, did you catch that? The, the altruism? Of the- <laughs> that's, that's obvious. <laughs> where, 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 where do the week? Where, I thought Wall Street was greedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but that's a, it's a very, very, very good point, Bob. Uh, when you say that, and I, I want to make sure people know, that they're, not, they're not benefiting consumers because, oh, I can read their research reports and that's, I'll buy when they, you know, right. at, at that price or that. No, no, that's not what he means. Bob, in case you were thinking that, that they're providing some sort of research that everyone can piggyback off of. No, what, you're, 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 he's speaking about it from a, a price discovery perspective. They're, they're kind of fighting each other to figure out the right price. They're trying to, they're trying to set the price, where, and that allows consumers to just effectively be price takers, price you know, takers and just accept the price as is because these guys have thought about it enough that it, it, it's, it's kind of uh, – you know, it becomes a best estimate. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's we're able to sit back and just kind of let them do all the hard work of doing all of this modeling and figuring out where, where should that price converge to? Where should that equilibrium price on Amazon or Cisco or G or, you know, pick your stock, where should that be? Um, and, you know, they actually do a relatively good job of it, actually, um, which is what allows index funds and you know passive investing as a whole to work as well as it did. If there were no, I mean, this actually so, gets back to that idea of, you know, when is there too much indexing? Um, and that's actually possible. Yeah. If everyone in the world was a passive investors or passive investor, it wouldn't work. 
because there's no price discovery mechanism at that point. There's no way for prices to move to the correct level. Now, the problem is that we essentially have an overabundance of fundamental analysts. We have so many people trying to do this and trying to beat each other. The market is the marginal value of that last person doing fundamental analysis is negative. You know, they're not adding value. They're actually subtracting value at that point from, from themselves. So, you know, but that I want to be very clear here. The market needs fundamental analysis to work. It's just you as an individual, you don't need to pay for it. Yeah, the the irony of, of ironies here is that if you're an active manager charging somebody, I don't know, whatever it is, one and a quarter or whatnot, for to, to invest with them, and if you're a passive investor, that's you know complete point of separation from that person. The passive investor is actually benefiting more from that yep. active manager than the actual investor into one of his or her funds. Yeah. Uh, that's that's effectively what what Bob is saying because, you know, let them duke it out and you could make the and, – and we're not getting into it right now, but if you look at the results consistently from active managers, they, they underperform. So there there is no benefit. But in aggregate, having them duke it out, it kind of benefits us. And what, what Bob is saying from the vantage point that, yes, if everyone was a passive investor, there would be a capital would be inefficiently allocated because no one is discovering in the discovery piece. But we can comfortably say that the markets are efficiently inefficient, yeah. you know, for, uh, you know, for a while. Uh, what that number is, I don't know, Bob, I, but I uh, uh, no, you know, I, what that line of demarcation is doesn't matter because it'll right. it'll like flip back very fast. Exactly, that's that's one of the beauties of of the financial markets. They're self correcting mechanisms. If too many people start <laughs> indexing, if too many people just start being passive, well, those fundamental analysts they're going to start outperforming. You know, they're actually going to be. There's going to be few enough of them doing it that they're going to be providing actual value. Which means people are going to see those higher returns and flood back over there uh, to try and capture those returns. And it's just going to be that cycle back and forth. Now, the problem, like I said, is we are so far past that point um, you know, with so many people trying to predict what price levels should be, trying to beat the market um, that we're – a little more than a little out of whack, uh, even with kind of the rise of passive and index type investing. But that fundamentally is what's going on here. And so there is an element of free riding to some extent with passive investors. But at the end of the day, like when I first started learning about investing, I kind of realized that my comparative advantage in the world is not going to be to pick the individual companies to invest in. I'm, I'm not good with the balance sheets and being a fundamental analyst, but if I can not spend my time trying to pick individual companies, that just frees up time to do other things. And that's where like anyone who's been part of retirement research or knows we're not <laughs> giving, <laughs> telling which individual companies to invest in. It, there's all these other aspects of financial planning and tax planning and, and everything that goes alongside that, that if you, you can focus your efforts on other aspects of financial planning and to some extent piggyback off the fact that we do need some people doing that fundamental analysis and they are being compensated for it because they are charging fees for the work that they do. And that's where net of those fees, it can be hard for an investor to benefit from investing directly in those active managers. But uh, that at the end of the day, there is some sort of balance there. And, and like you're saying, we don't need everyone in the world. We need some people doing fundamental analysis, but as an individual yourself, whether or not you want to engage in that fundamental analysis partly depends on, do you enjoy it? Is it a hobby for you? Uh, do you, you kind of, you may recognize at the end of the day, you might not have a better investing outcome, but if you feel better doing the fundamental analysis yourself, 
uh, there's there's no problem yeah, with it. Thank it's you. Not like, with technical so. analysis, <laughs> we'd say you're you're wasting your time ultimately. But with fundamental analysis, it is useful and important. And if you enjoy it, more power to you. It, it's just not everyone in the world needs to be doing fundamental analysis. Yeah. No. I, well, but but wait. Yeah, you can do it, but you. I, I don't think you're saying the second part of that sentence, which is you most likely will not be successful at it. Yeah, and uh, you you may not have a better investing outcome, but you're not necessarily creating harm in the same manner that you would be if you devoted all your efforts to the technical analysis. You may still underperform the market just because, at the margin you may not be getting a better outcome from your fundamental analysis, but at least it is providing yeah. a social no, I think useful. just to be clear, <laughs> um, you know, as an individual, if you're doing fundamental analysis, one, again, thank you. Uh, you know, the value you're providing is to <laughs> the, the market as a whole rather than yourself. But the mar- But there are so many other people out there doing fundamental analysis that the marginal value you should be expecting to receive, again, is zero to negative. And that's even before considering the time that you're spending. So as Wade said, if you just think it's fun and, you know, knowing uh, knowing some people who, who listen to this, I'm sure there are some people who, you know, they have fun with spreadsheet hour every night. Um, they are fun. But, you know, it, it, just to be clear here, the marginal value on that that next that next fundamental analysis it's nothing it's just not there let's take a moment to let the audience know that this show is sponsored by retirement researcher you can learn more about retirement researcher at retirementresearcher.com and subscribe to our newsletter where you'll receive weekly actionable information for your retirement planning benefit Retirement Researcher is an online community devoted to helping you create the retirement income plan geared towards your goals. I think you guys are hedging here a little bit. I I, I, I would say it like, if you think it's fun, become a bookkeeper or, or, or something like that. <laughs> that probably would be a better uh, I mean, dollar. No, seriously. No, because we use this for our own company, like McLean and Retirement Researcher. And yes, we 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 do figure out like net present values and things like that, right? Yep. But as an investor, I I think you should treat it like you know picking stocks or whatever. And this is where we made the supermarket comment a while ago. And yes, it's not a hundred percent solid analogy, but like when you go buy milk, I don't buy milk, and I look at the milk carton and say, oh, it's Whatever, two fifty. Yes, you know, I just buy it. You know, assuming there's no budget constraints, you just buy whatever you need and and you move on with your day. You don't you don't worry about oh, what was the price of chips today? You know that that kind of thing. Yeah, this is like I'm getting away from budgeting. I'm I'm having the conversation of just the dynamic of when you go to the store, you accept the price for what it is. Right. You don't you don't necessarily you don't start the, engaging. The yeah. Exactly. That's exactly correct. And to me, that's, you know, I mean, I can hedge, but I'm, I, you know, I can be the bad guy, which is become a bookkeeper, you know, you know, at least get paid yeah. for it, you know, by somebody. And then, you know, or take up Sudoku or whatever. And then, for, and then think about buying stocks. Like when you go to the grocery store, you just, you accept the price for what they yeah. are, you know, and, and I, I was going to get into that, that whole, uh, remember Sinkfeld? Mm-hmm. Bob, when he would get into uh, fundamental analyst and capitalist and, you know, he would draw upon Hayek in terms of, look, the capitalism, right? Assets flow efficiently and you accept that because there's a good allocation of capital. The only people that don't feel that are people that, you know, try to really engineer economies, if you will. That's right. You know, because capital capital is not efficiently allocated, right? Yep. And so th- th- that would mean that there's mispricings everywhere. Because as an, aggre- as an aggregate, as a whole, we've mispriced securities, right? Which is an inefficient use of, of capital, if you will. And, you know, the story, you know, Singfield goes on and tells his thing. I'm not going to do it as good as him or anything along those lines, but effectively when you get right down to it the only folks that consistently believe that assets are misallocated and and things aren't priced the way they are are people that construct economies 
you know, that really engineer him and uh, fundamental analyst to a large extent. So, and so Alex, who, just to be clear who, here, you're so, saying fundamental analysts are communists. Just to be very clear about what we're well, saying here. No, why, why, no, no, no. But why don't you get to the punchline? You know, no, I, I, if, this, if, is, this is the first time I've ever been been accused of being insufficiently harsh on uh, on active management. But but Alex is absolutely right here that you know it's if you think you can outpredict the market or come up with a better price or a more true price for you know pick a company. You know, that means that you are saying you're smarter than the aggregate of of everyone out there, of all of the other people trying to figure this thing out. And maybe that's true. And but you got to have some pretty strong evidence of that. Um, So, yeah. But I think what might be good here is to actually walk through an example of what fundamental analysts are actually doing here because we're talking very very high level um you know fundamental philosophies of how economics works here apparently when they're bringing out hayek and all this type of stuff well no but it goes to the whole technical analysis like silliness where what's the anchor here what's the anchor to this absolutely but okay so let's let's pick amazon I, i actually just took a look at the price it's call it we're recording this a little while ago, so uh, hopefully nothing super major has happened, but it's trading around $100. Market cap is around a trillion dollars. Now, let's say I go through, I run the numbers. So I go out, I forecast all their cash flows, I look at all the business lines. So, you know, Amazon.com, the biggest store in the world, you know, AWS, all of the web services stuff, um, I don't know, all of the other ancillary businesses that they run, they've got their fingers in like everything. So I know there's no way of me doing all this. I try. Their ad business is going crazy. Yeah. Just FYI. Um, so I try and predict all of the cash flows. Now, first off, let's recognize just how big of a challenge just that in and of itself is. You know, when we, you know, when we look at the cash flows of our sister company, McLean, you know, a financial advisor, one of the simplest kind of businesses to kind of model out. It's really friggin' hard. It's it's really hard to kind of figure that out. Now, expand that out to like the largest, one of the largest companies and most complex companies in the world. I'm trying to do this out through time. But I do it. I come up with the numbers I think is right. Uh, and I think the company is worth $900 billion. I think the market is overpricing uh, Amazon. I think it's worth less than what the market is charging for. So instead of $100 per share, I think it should be, eh, call it $90 a share. Well, um, you know, I'm going to go out and try. And if I own Amazon, I don't want to be holding that at $100 a share. I want to sell that as fast as I can. I want to capture that $10 per share of value or as close to it as I possibly can. So I'm going to go out in the market and just dump all of the shares that I own. Um, and well, one of the, again, we talked about how the market is a self-correcting mechanism with regards to the number of fi- um, fundamental analysts. Excuse me. It's also self-correcting in terms of price discovery. It's going to, that's going to tell the market the price should be lower. And, you know, me personally, if I was to go sell however much Amazon I happen to own, I have no clue. Um, That's not a big signal. I'm not moving the market a lot, but it does contribute to the information out there. It's saying that I think that it's worth less Um, and enough signals like that, you know, that's going to move that equilibrium point that that Wade was talking about there. That's going to pull it down. If... On the other hand, I thought it was worth you know one point one trillion. I thought the share price should be one hundred and ten dollars. Well, I'm going to go out there and buy as much Amazon as I possibly can, and that's going to push the price up. And you know, theoretically, if I had effectively unlimited money, I'd keep doing that until it got to the price that I think Amazon is worth. That's the basics. That's what's going on here, um, but. Yeah. Bob, 
Is it fair to say, I'd like to add one, one caveat, because I'm, I'm just trying to think when we say the average investor, the average investor, and there could be a listener, mm-hmm. well, I'm sure they are, right, that they're saying to themselves, well, the average IQ is 100. I know that I'm a good one, one and a half standard deviation above that because whatever, I've, you know, I'm in Mensa or yeah. whatever their, their like cutoff is, right? So I'm at 130, two standard deviations, just okay. like, you know, there you go. You're two standard deviations over. So I am going to play in this game because I do know more than the average market participant. I, 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 you know, the flaw there to me is like, everyone's everyone's vote isn't equally weighted etc cetera, etc cetera. and it, it just depends on a, a couple of discoveries you know to be done to sort of set that but i mean is there something for you to add on that how you would counter that 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 person saying no but i'm i'm smarter than uh, the average market participant yeah absolutely um that you know it's not the think of it as the weighted average participant um and and even more than that you know, the dollar weighted average uh, participant. Yeah. So, you know, you going in, you know, let's say you got $10 million to play with. So you do, you're doing real well for yourself. You got $10 million to play with. Um, that's not even a drop in the bucket. You know, we're, we're talking about, you know, a truly massive, massive system, um, you know, full of people who are, also really, really smart uh, trying to figure this stuff out. This is not, you're not competing against retail investors. Um, You're not competing against financial advisors. You're not competing against us. You're competing against the big institutional players. Those are the people who are truly driving the market. Now, you say what you will there um, about a lot of those people. Apparently they're, they're altruists, as we said, but they're also incredibly smart themselves. They they have access to incredible amounts of information and incredible tools to process that information. Even more importantly, you know, we all have access to largely the same information set. You know, we got access to all the annual reports. We can go buy Bloomberg. Uh, you know, we got all this stuff we can get to, but we don't have the tools to process it as efficiently as fast as some of these other kind of more institutional type players in the market. And that's who we're going to be competing against. But, well, I, I, I would say though that, that in, in the previous episode, we said that, yeah, there's institutional money, but even in aggregate that can be dwarfed. I, I, I would also, so, so to add to that, it's an and not a, but I would say there, because of the market dynamics and how the price discovery mm-hmm. were there, and this is now I'm going to quote Dan Wheeler, who we talked about in the last episode. You know, rest in peace. Uh, effectively, they're they're fishing in an empty lake. Mm-hmm. The, the dynamics are such that you're playing a game you really can't win because of everyone because everyone is participating in it in a certain manner. Yeah, Bob? no, exactly. Um, it's nothing to do with intelligence. Right. There's. There's a lot of money in money, so there's a lot of smart people there, but that's not the yeah. that's not the case. Go on, yeah. and it's not the you're not competing against the average investor. You're competing against the aggregate uh, beliefs of all investors, and you have yeah. to somehow have an insight that all other investors in aggregate did not have. Yeah, a hundred percent. I just wanted to address the whole. The average investor, no, but I'm, you know, the average investor, hell, you know, the average IQ is 100. So uh, take a random investor. I know I can beat him. You know, that kind of, I just wanted to kind of just yeah, put no, that and, to rest. And I think it's worth kind of also talking about some of the assumptions that you're making in terms of when we're talking about trying to beat the market using fundamental analysis. The first is you're coming up with the correct price, which is a heroic assumption in and of itself that you can truly value this where everyone else can't. But it's worth pointing out that's useless in and of itself. So the market's trading Amazon at $100, but, you know, it really should be at 110 Okay. Great. You know something that no one else knows, but unless something changes, that doesn't mean anything. The second assumption is that the market will then realize you're genius 
and come up to or come down to the level that you think Amazon should be at. So the market for this to be at all useful, the market has to agree with you. The aggregate of the market has to agree with you and push Amazon up to $110. That's how you make your money, um, by buying it down when Amazon is trading at $100 and everyone else agreeing with you and coming up. Now, it's interesting to note that uh, both technical analysis and fundamental analysis are making a pretty big assumption that the market is rational just with a lag. They're saying the market's going to be rational just on my time scan or time frame. It's going to wait for me to figure this out before it moves to, you know, whatever the new price is supposed to be. That's a little bit egotistical there. Um, yeah, it's it's like that quote, the, the, the future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. A little bit, yeah. And you're constantly on the front end of that distribution. Yeah. So, I mean, those two assumptions there that... One, you're going to get, you're going to be able to figure this out better than everyone else. Really big in and of itself, but sure, we'll we'll grant that for right now. But you've also got to make the assumption that everyone else or enough other people will come to the same conclusion that you did fast enough for it to matter. Because you know, obviously, all these things are moving around, meaning the true price is going to move around as well. So the market needs to come to that slow enough for you to be the first or one of the first people to come to that conclusion, but fast enough that, you know, it's still meaningful fast enough that that true price is still useful. You're threading a pretty fine needle there, basically. Um, You know, so it's, it's always worth calling that out. Yeah. And and what we're not mentioning, and it may be beyond the scope of, this podcast, because we, we could go on and on, is the assumptions to derive at that price. Because <laughs> you're just saying in one sentence, you get to a price. Yep. <laughs> but if you really do it, and, and this Bob met, said it very early in terms of, look, our own companies, McLean, I can't tell you what our earnings are going to be at the end of the year. I really can't. You know, and, and think about that, right? And then you have Amazon, a trillion dollar company that analysts get it down to the penny. That's a game. It's just a game. I I don't know. Game. They're backing into a number. But let's say you're now doing this yourself and you're going to, you know, to to do this analysis, there's present value calculations that you have to take into account, which which assume a discount rate. And the discount rate is based on the risk free rate, which is, you know, think about the conversations that Wade and I and Bob, to some extent, have had over the last 50 episodes about market assumptions. And the flaws in capital market assumptions and the best estimates of capital market assumptions for financial planning. Well, multiply that by 100, if not more, when you're taking Amazon into account. And not only do you have to be right on what the quote-unquote present value is based on all these macroeconomic factors so you take the right discount rate, but then it has to, it has to manifest itself. Before you go bankrupt, before yeah. you know you're consistently theoretically right, but in practical terms, it it's yeah. not. What was, what's the Keynes quote? The market can stay rational longer than you can stay solvent. So yeah, exactly. Liquid. Yeah, and who was a terrible investor, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not Keynes. I, I'm sorry. I, I was thinking of uh, yeah, he's good. Uh, uh, no, the uh, Apple guy. You're no, thinking of the East uh, India company. Yeah, um, yeah, the Apple guy. Oh my god, uh, Jesus. Oh my goodness. They're gonna yeah, kick us okay. off the podcast. This someone is, someone Google this. <laughs> Isaac. Uh oh wait. Oh god. Hang on. Not, this is this is embarrassing. This is, this is bad. <laughs> Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton, thank you. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Smartest guy ever, actually, right? Him and like uh Da Vinci. <laughs> oh god. Isaac Newton, remember like uh, but that was more behavioral yeah. finance thing. Who like yeah. I, he like lost everything I think in the East India thing. I don't know if it was everything, but yeah, so he got going, caught up in that in that whole bubble, and he got he got wiped pretty hard. Yeah, but, but going back to it's not a matter of intelligence. That, you know, yeah. the full circle here is it's not a matter of intelligence. You're not smarter than him. No one is. <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, uh, that's a that's a really great example. I mean, it's obviously wasn't quite developed, and actually, this is a good entree. 
Well, first off, I'll also call out, um, you know, getting at the complexity for, for calculating a lot of this stuff. Um, I actually have a workshop in the Academy, the Retirement Researcher Academy, talking about a lot of these investment statistics and we get into calculating NPV and, you know, all of these fun things, or at least I think they're fun. Um, but, you know, if you really want to dive into that, that's that's something you can take a look at there. Um, but I want to talk about there's a couple different approaches. Uh, there's a lot of different approaches, but two kind of big kind of categories of approaches um, to fundamental analysis. So there's the Graham and Dodd type value investors who are looking for kind of big mispricings at the kind of company level. Um, you know, they, they talk about value investing. It's very different from kind of the academic value investing, the value premium type of stuff we talk about. And then there are people who are just looking for just straight up mispricings, price arbitrage type of stuff. Um, so let's let's start with kind of looking at the, the Graham and Dodd folks first. And wait, you look like you're trying and to that's say Warren something. Buffett would be the more modern... Yes, yeah. Warren Buffett yeah. would be the more modern. Uh, yeah, Graham and Dodd are the guys who wrote the, the book. Up, literally wrote the book on it. Um, but yeah, there's a lot <laughs> of people who are doing it, and, and Buffett is probably the most famous kind of. I'm not sure proponent is the right word since he's out there telling everyone just to go buy index funds. Um, but the most famous practitioner, I guess you could say. So he the idea there, fewer fundamental analysts to compete with. Yeah, exactly. Another, another. He's trying to push that <laughs> easy guy to kind of push over there. Um, but you know what they're really doing is they're looking at the companies from an intrinsic value. So they're looking at the accounting values and you know looking at the moats and and all of these different types of things. And they are systematically doing the pricing models on all of these companies. These are the people who will have like five stocks. They're really, really sure about, and that will be their portfolio. Um, and to them, that's a great diversified portfolio because they're really, really confident in their calls about these five or 10 companies or whatever small arbitrary type of number I'm going to throw out there. And, you know, they're going to wait for the market to come to them effectively. So what they're really so looking the for. The only caveat I would add. Bob, I would add to this this yeah. caveat. I think it's important. I we're we're dealing it from value investors that are like spreadsheet warriors right now. Yeah, you know. But th there are a group, and you could throw Buffett in in the mix. There are a group of investors that do more than just you know find an undervalued security, but then they are actively participating in that yes. company. Yes, you know, even even vulture investors and things like that. And I don't, I don't. I don't think I, I you know, it, uh, from a spreadsheet valuation standpoint, yes, you know, I, I agree with you, but I wouldn't put like the vulture guys or the the activist or, or those folks in this mix just yet. Okay, uh, is, is that yeah? No, and, and you know, Buffett actually he's a good example of those activists. You know, there's a lot of people out there talking about him who, you know, he's not really an investor; he's really just a manager. You know, he goes this in and when he buys. <laughs> A stock, he's buying enough of that company that he gets to go in and effectively he's the CEO or he's the person who gets to make the final call for that company and guide that company into doing whatever it is that he thinks is best. Whereas you or I, if we're doing this, you know, um, we're probably not going to be able to put ourselves in that position. We're just going to be kind of, I own. 0.0005% of this company. You know, the, the CEO ain't going to be taking our call. Are you getting close to or are you in retirement? Well, investing during retirement is a little bit different than during your working years. Your investments are there to help you pay for retirement. And now is when they need to earn their keep. To make sure you're on the right track, download Retirement Researcher's 8 Tips to Becoming a Retirement Income Investor by heading over to retirementresearcher.com slash 8 tips. Again, get Retirement Researcher's 8 Tips to Becoming a Retirement Income Investor by going to retirementresearcher.com slash 8 tips. That's the number 8 tips. 
Yeah, but that's that's all I want. I didn't want to take it too far off because that's another kind of thing, yeah. you know, if you will. And we can do a private equity thing at some point. But it's really more. I just wanted to get the sense because I'm thinking people are listening, and and there's more to Buffett than just oh, identifying a lower price yeah. and and that's it. You know, there's more to Carl Icahn. There's more to I don't know. I, I, there's always a new, a new group Almost of people. Almost any of them that you can name are probably more in, in that type of category, unless you're you're really diving deep. Um, so, but yeah, no, absolutely. That's a really, really important point that those people are not price takers. Um, you know, they're people who are actually influencing these companies. Um, so what, but again, getting back to kind of the, the Graham and Dodd value investor, um, you know, there are people who are trying to match up that intrinsic value or find the difference in that intrinsic value, I should say, from what the market's doing and then waiting for the market to come to them. It's a very, very systematic type of approach um, that, you know, again, really adds a lot to the market as a whole, even if it's not as much them. Uh, the other type are people who are looking for a, a more the arbitrage type of approach is they're looking for kind of those quick hits uh, in terms of differences. You know, they'll do kind of big, broad scope analysis and look for pe- for those stocks that are just slightly different, wait for the quick turnover, um, and, and kind of go at it from, from that angle. So it's really a question of kind of slightly longer term with kind of that value investing type of framework versus the arbitrage quicker uh, type of turnover type of stuff there. So that's a really important distinction. But what you want to be thinking about is what type of information are these people really bringing to bear? You know, we've talked about how valuable it is because they're bringing in all this information. They're doing this price discovery for us. What does that, what are they actually doing? Um, And a lot of people kind of think it's just, they're sitting down with a five foot pile of annual reports and just running the numbers. And yeah, okay, they do that, but that's only part of the analysis. You know, what they're really doing is they're bringing in all of the available information. So they're looking at those annual reports, they're looking at balance sheets, they're looking at income statements, but they're also incorporating, what do you think the market's gonna look like? How's the economy gonna change over the next year, five years, 10 years, 30 years. Uh, how are people going to react to that? How are people going to react to that reaction uh, all the way down the line? It's, it's kind of the Iocane problem here. You know, I know that you know that I know that you know, and having to model all of that out and incorporate that into your model. It's, uh, it's hard. It's, it's a lot of uncertainty. And at a certain point, you know, there's a ton of information there, but at a certain point, you kind of making a guess a little bit. Yeah, and look, we're 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 not bringing up individual data right now on investors because you could, you know, you could be asking yourself while listening to this. So yeah, but there's some people that are successful. We'll talk about that next week. We'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get to it because it's a it's a whole it's almost like sport, you know, frankly. But we'll, we'll get to it. We're we're laying down. As, as you picked up from this podcast, we're just laying down the theoretical underpinnings because if you understand it at this level and it makes sense, it's kind of good enough, yeah. you know, to, to a certain to a certain extent, because the numbers will, you know, you'll see how how they follow. If, if it doesn't ever make sense, and we show you numbers, then it, it it's not as strong. Yeah, the the numbers are, you know. Yeah, we could go there, um, but if if but, you don't get uh, the basic argument, or if you don't agree with us on the basic argument, we're not going to agree on what the numbers mean. Yeah, exactly, a hundred percent. I can't tell you how many times we can show you numbers over and over about look at the performances and that, but you'll still do your yeah, but kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, this is our attempt. Yeah, and so I mean that that's kind of the the big thing here that the. Fundamental analysts are the ones who make the market operate efficiently. They're the ones who allow the efficient market hypothesis to actually work, um, ironically, by trying to break the efficient market hypothesis and, and beat the market. But again, this gets back to the financial markets being 
just incredibly powerful self-correcting machinery in that, you know, when someone outperforms, well, everyone does that. And that brings it back down into back down in the line. Let me let me introduce something here because I, I, I got to, again, assume that some people are, are, are thinking this. You, you we're throwing the word efficient mm-hmm. market efficiency around now. I think it's the first time. I think time it might I, be the I've first time we need to today. Right. And so uh, it, it's an interesting concept, but let me let me actually bring Wade in since he's the the trained e- economist. Uh, I, I just I don't even play one on a podcast. So I just fool around, right? Uh, <laughs> Wade, what what you know? F- market efficiency. How would you say it from a textbook perspective? It, it's the idea that's really been the underpinning of what we've been talking about that. Everyone's trying to outperform the market now, setting the passive investors aside who are free riding off of the others. But uh, everyone's trying to outperform the market. And so the given market price incorporates all the available information that if some people, if enough people thought the price was undervalued, they'd buy it today and that would push the price up today. If enough people thought the price was overvalued, they'd sell it today and that would push down the price today. And so the price today in the efficient market hypothesis is just the collective wisdom of everyone in the market trying to guess what the market's going to do, leading to an equilibrium between that supply and demand that the current price we see is the price that incorporates all available information such that will the price go up or down tomorrow is going to depend purely on the news that comes in that's going to be random with respect to whatever people were expecting that if, if, if like a great example is a company could have record earnings and the price could still go down because the market expectation was that the earnings would have been even higher. So whatever news comes is ultimately random with respect to nobody in the market knew what that was going to be. And that's how you see the price changes. And so you can't really predict future price movements because the efficient market ideas, all available information is incorporated into the current price of the security. Okay. Uh, Then I would ask, I'm going to play a little bit of a devil's advocate here because this is where people kind of like start saying, aha, I got you, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, All right, Bob. So, and I thought, Wade, uh, just to add to that, I thought you were going to go into the perfect form, semi-strong form, you know, that kind of CFA <laughs> definition, definitional thing. Uh, but this, okay, I want to make point the point clear. This does not mean prices are perfectly priced Correct. at all. You know, let's get that out of the way because this is where people can say, ah, oh, come on, don't, don't, don't give me that. That prices are priced perfectly. Look at GameStop. We referred to it the other day, right? This does not mean that prices or it doesn't need to happen that prices are perfectly priced so bob what would you say if someone said yeah but look schiller just want the normal prize Mm -hmm. with with fama even Mm -hmm. you know of all things right talking about how prices aren't rational so i'm bringing now the concept of rational prices aren't rational and so we can catch those moments of irrationality which you know, the volatility on the markets yeah. are such that prices aren't yeah, I'll say, perfectly I'll say priced. It, it can't One, be. Why don't you say a little thing Nobel about that? The Nobel Prize Committee, they hedged real hard on that prize. They gave it to a couple of people well, basically yeah. for saying every part of finance. That was basically the creation of finance Nobel Prize. So Fama was saying – So it was a technical analysis. It was a technical right. analysis yeah, conclusion. They, they right? left Could go either out for some reason. Um, but but – so a couple of things there. One, I would also point out, um, you know, Schiller, Thaler, all of these guys saying, hey, there are problems in the market. Their end suggestion for 99% of investors, uh, go buy an index. Just just go buy the market. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, this doesn't have that much of an effect end of the day for, for truly long-term investors. Um, so there's there's absolutely that piece there um, in that, you know, what do you do with that? Eh, not a huge amount, uh, or at least you can ignore that over very long term time periods. The other thing I'll call out is um, the market is everyone kind of recognizes the market's going to do weird stuff. 
Um, that's just going to happen because there are people involved. We're not perfectly rational, all that type of stuff. But getting back to your main point that prices aren't perfect, that's a really, really important idea. Um, you know, that's often kind of the, the soundbite that you hear about the efficient market. It says the market's perfect. It's not. Even Fama uh, will come out and say, yeah, prices aren't perfect. The catch is there's a but there. That but is that we don't know, we know prices are wrong, but we don't know if they're wrong because they're too high or they're too low. And at that point, when we can't, when we can say they're wrong, but we don't know which direction they're wrong, we kind of just have to accept them. We kind of just have to start from where they are now and say, okay, that's my best guess. And that's all anyone's ever really going to say about prices. These are the best guess given all of the available information and all, you know, Wade, you, or you can probably hear Wade stressing that all in his definition, that all is all that is all encompassing. Everything you can possibly <laughs> imagine gets funneled into those prices. You know, the, the Super Bowl score is somewhere in there, probably not moving it that much, but it's in there. Um, and everything else as well. The only thing I would say to that, and and I think we can we can do this when we talk about like market timing, because mm -hmm. I, I I want to point out I'm, I'm going off of one phrase that you said that we don't know if it's overvalued or undervalued. I think at the securities level, I I, I subscribe to that. But could you say at the dot com boom during the boom, hey, there's a bubble here. So if anything, it's overpriced, not undervalued. Right. I'm not I'm not arguing. I'm just so I don't want to discuss it even right now. We, we'll do this when we get to market timing yeah. because we're There's at the a conversation 55 minute there, mark we'll, right we'll now. Yeah, exactly. And we'll spare everyone until, until next week. We get to, but uh, but uh, I will say this from from my definition of market efficiency. You know, if you integrate what Wade said and you integrate what Bob said, where I land is effectively I don't care. If markets are overpriced or underpriced, you know, the best estimate is what we see, you know, and you're, you're, you're most efficient just taking it, like going back to the milk example, right? But more importantly, I, I truly feel it's efficient in this sense. Wade and Bob can't, can't, Wade and Bob, if, if Wade, myself, and Bob have access to the same information that's available, I am not going to consistently, and I'm using the word specifically, I am not going to consistently outperform Bob. I am not going to consistently outperform Wade and vice versa. You know, we have access to the same information. The markets are efficiently priced in the sense that we're not going to outperform each other, you know, based on some extra insight, based on some extra neurons that I have popping because my IQ is five points greater or less than either one of them. No, it's just it doesn't happen like that. And that's where I, I land on this market efficiency in, in terms of I'm not you know I you know if we have access to the same information I'm not going to outperform persistently anyone because in aggregate it's just how it is. Yeah, I mean that's at the end of the day that's really what it comes down to. Um, you know what do you what should you be doing with your own money? Well, I mean unless you are basically if you are in a position to be able to consistently outperform the market. You ain't listening to this podcast. Um, you know, you're on your private island somewhere with your trillions of dollars um, because that is incredibly valuable. It's also incredibly rare, uh, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks about how we can how we know we can make that statement. But that's exactly right. What do you What do you do with your money? Well, eh, just kind of take the market, and that's your your best bet. Good Wait, way to yeah. wrap it up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. Okay. Yeah, this is going to be a lengthy episode, but thanks everyone for for joining, and we'll catch you next week as we continue. It is the the next week's episode will be on market yep. timing, right? So. Mm -hmm. Perfect timing. <laughs> no pun intended. All right. Take care, everyone. Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean Asset Management and retirement researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. 
The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.